Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Matthew's Gospel and Chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel and Chapter 9. I'm reading at verse 18. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. I don't know about you, friends, but one of the the hardest things I've found over the last uh, two years is avoiding physical contact with people. Now, I know that there's uh, one positive in not having to shake hands with anyone at the door, and that's I've not had a cold for the last uh, two years. And those of you who who know what I was like uh, before the pandemic know that every week I would be coughing and spluttering about the place. But uh, So there's been no colds for the last uh, two years. But I find it very hard having to, to socially distance uh, from people. I find it very hard uh, keeping... Uh, away from people, um, especially at a funeral. It, it feels that you're lacking in empathy. It feels that you're lacking in sympathy when you, when you see people at their very lowest, at their, their most vulnerable, and you're just standing back uh, from them. Today we're going to be continuing our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10, and we're going to be focusing on this very well-known narrative that emphasizes touch. We find a man asking that Jesus lay his hand on his dead daughter so that she will be brought back to life. We find a woman touching Jesus' garments so that she is made well. We find Jesus taking a dead girl by the hand so that she is then brought to life. It is a narrative that speaks about the wholeness that comes from touching and being touched by Jesus. So this morning we're going to be considering this narrative under three headings. The request, of a father, the request of a man, then the restoration of a woman, and finally the raising of a child. The request of a man, the restoration of a woman, and then the raising of a child. First you have the request of a man. Look at verses 18 and 19, where Matthew focuses on the request of a man that, that a man made to Jesus. In verse 18, Matthew draws our attention to the request. We can begin by noting where Jesus was. Look at the beginning of verse 18. He's been spending time around the town of Capernaum, and he's been feasting in the home of a tax collector named Matthew, a man whom Jesus had just called to follow him. And while he's in Matthew's home, the disciples of John come to Jesus with the question, Why do we fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus had answered the question by telling them that it was an inappropriate time to be fasting while he, the heavenly bridegroom, was present, while he, the heavenly bridegroom, was in their midst. And he's still speaking to them at the beginning of verse 18. We can continue by noting who Jesus met. Look again at verse 18. As Jesus is speaking, a ruler comes in. Mark and Luke tell us that this ruler went by the name of Jairus and that he was a ruler of the synagogue. This man is a very responsible figure. He was responsible for making sure that there was someone who would preach 
in the synagogue week by week, responsible for making sure that the synagogue building was maintained, responsible uh, for uh, keeping all the finances of the synagogue in working order. Uh, This man is an elder and a deacon rolled into one. He is a man who is very uh, responsible, very well thought of. Uh, He is a highly regarded figure. And he now comes and he kneels before Jesus. It is a posture of respect. It is the posture of an inferior coming before their superior. And we can note what Jesus heard. Look at verse 18 again. Jairus opens by telling Jesus that his daughter has just died. His whole world, his whole life has been turned upside down. He continues by asking Jesus to come and lay his hand on her. And he concludes by saying, and she will live. Jairus is convinced that there is power in the touch of Jesus. He is convinced that that just one touch from Jesus and his daughter, who is dead, will be brought back to life. And having heard the request, we can see the response in verse 19. We can see what Jesus did, beginning of verse 19. He doesn't say anything to Jairus. He simply rises and he follows him. He makes his way to the synagogue ruler's house, just like he had been asked to. And we can also see who Jesus took with him. Look again at verse 19. As Jesus rises, his disciples, his followers, go with him. After his resurrection, Jesus' followers will go out and they will proclaim all that they had seen, all that they had heard concerning Jesus. And they're going with Jesus on this occasion to function as witnesses, eyewitnesses, to what they had seen and what they had heard. In the next 10 years, they're going to be going out preaching. And they're not going to be saying, somebody told me about something that Jesus did. They're going to be saying, let me tell you about the time when I followed Jesus into the house of Jairus and what he did on that occasion. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can see that Jesus is the Savior who responds to weak faith. Jesus is the Savior who responds to weak faith. That's what we see in this encounter with this man. If you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 8 and we saw a Roman centurion coming before Jesus and saying to him, My servant is suffering terribly. He is lying paralyzed in bed. And then he'd gone on and he had said to Jesus, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but if you just say the word, she will be made well. And Jesus had commended the faith of this man. Jesus had said to those watching on, I have not seen faith like this from anyone in Israel. This Roman centurion was a man who had great faith. Now look at this man Jairus, this Jewish synagogue ruler. He's very different. His faith is weaker than the faith of the Roman centurion. He wants more than a word from Jesus. He wants the presence of Jesus. He wants the physical touch of Jesus. But that doesn't stop Jesus from rising and going with him. Jesus is the Savior who responds to great faith, but also to weak faith. You might be here today and you feel like your faith is frail, frayed, fragile. You might be here today and you're looking at the people in this building and you're thinking to yourself, I wish I had faith like them. 
You might be here today and you're thinking to yourself, I remember the days, the days before COVID, the days when we met in Stornway Primary, when my faith was so strong, so stable, so secure, and now it is so pitiful and so poor by comparison. I remember the days when I was young. I remember the days when I was first converted. I remember the days when I used to have fellowship with the Lord's people all the time and my faith was on the mountain peaks and now it feels like my faith is trudging through the valley. And this morning I want to remind you, friend, that even if your faith is as thin as a spider's thread, if it is connected to Jesus, attached to Jesus, united to Jesus, that is enough. He is the Saviour who responds to great faith, but also to weak faith. Don Carson illustrates this brilliantly and beautifully when he says, Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, they're having a discussion and Smith says to Brown, Are you a little nervous about what is going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and dabbed the doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Of course I've done that. I'm not stupid, snapped Smith. But it's still pretty scary when you think of all the things that have happened around here recently. I'll be glad when this night is over. And Brown responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. And that night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? Did Brown lose his son or did Smith lose his son? Did Brown, who had the great faith, lose his son? Or did Smith, who had the weak faith, lose his son? And Don Carson says the answer is neither. Because death doesn't pass over on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. It is not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. Isn't that wonderful? Today the Gospel presents us with a Jesus who responds to great faith, but who also responds to weak faith. Do you believe this? If you're here today with very, very, very weak faith, Do you believe that Jesus still responds to you? But we move from the request of a man to the restoration of a woman. Look at verses 20 to 22. Matthew now focuses on the restoration that a woman received from Jesus. Verses 20 and 21, we see the conviction of this unnamed woman. Matthew introduces us to a new figure in the narrative, this unnamed woman, and he highlights in verse 20 her condition. She has been suffering from a discharge of blood, a a menstrual bleeding. And Matthew highlights that she had been afflicted with that condition for 12 years. It is a chronic condition. It is a continuous condition. It is a condition from which there seems to be no prospect of a cure, no prospect of a recovery. And what is more important to note is that while she is suffering physically, she is also suffering socially. She is suffering in society. According to the laws in Leviticus, anything that this woman touched, anyone that touched this woman would be unclean. 
Anything and anyone that this woman touched was unclean. And so people would do their utmost to socially distance from her. They didn't want having her as one of her, their close contacts. If, if you were in a room and you saw this woman, you would say, I better get out because she's going to appear on my track and trace form. And if she's on my track and trace form, I'm going to be unclean. And so this woman is living a very lonely life. This woman is living a very isolated life. Think back to lockdown when some of us spent 10 weeks not seeing a single person. How easy was that? Some of us were close to breaking point. And this woman has gone 12 years without seeing anyone, having contact with anyone. She is suffering. She's got this awful condition. But Matthew does more than highlight her condition. He highlights her conviction. Look at verses 20 and 21. She approaches Jesus from behind, touches the fringe, the tassels of his garment... And the reason that she does this is because she is saying to herself, literally she was saying over and over to herself, if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. Jairus believed that if Jesus laid his hand on his daughter, she would live. This woman believes that if she just touches the garment of Jesus, she will be healed. Having seen the conviction of this woman, we hear the commendation of Jesus. Look at verse 22. Jesus turns around sees the woman, and he starts to speak to her. He's not too busy, he's not too preoccupied with this very influential synagogue ruler to bother spending time with this unnamed, unclean woman. And he begins by encouraging her to to take heart. Don't you love the times when Jesus says, take heart? And he continues and he says, take heart, my daughter, a term of affection. And he concludes by announcing that her faith has made her well. He is announcing that she has been healed. Now that is good for her to hear, but it's also good for her community to hear. Because that community have isolated her. That community have put her away. That community want nothing more to do with her. And Jesus is saying, in the hearing of everyone, this woman is now clean. This woman no longer needs to socially distance This woman no longer has to isolate. This woman no longer needs to be away from everyone. This woman can be welcomed back into your homes, into your shops, into your hospitals, into your places of worship. She has been healed. And instantly, look at verse 22, she is made well. She had been suffering from that chronic condition for for 12 years. No cure. And in that very instant, literally from that very hour, she is made well. A momentary encounter with Jesus has transformed her life. As we consider these verses, friends, we can see that Jesus is the Savior who cleanses the defiled. Jesus is the Savior who cleanses the defiled. That's always seen his encounter with this woman. She is suffering physically but she is also suffering socially. She saw herself and others saw her as being unclean, contaminated and contaminating, defiled, and Jesus cures her, cleanses her, makes her well. He restores her. Jesus is the Savior who cleanses the defiled. And that is so important for us to hear today. Daniel Doriani writes, Whether our bodies are healthy or sick, 
Before God, we're all the same as this woman. Even the greatest prophet, the holiest man, is unclean. We all need the healing, cleansing touch of Jesus. None of us, friends, are clean in and of ourselves. We're all contaminated by the defiling disease of sin. We're defiled by the things that we have said. We're defiled by the things that we have looked at. We are defiled by the things that we have listened to. We're defiled by the things that we have engaged in. We are defiled by the things that we have thought about. They have all served to contaminate us, to render us unclean before God. I wonder, friend, do you ever come to church and you just feel convicted? You just feel ashamed. You just feel dirty. You look at these people around you and you think, I'm so dirty compared to them. Maybe I shouldn't even bother being among them. I know I do. There are some Sundays I think, I don't know if I can come among these people today. I'm a mess compared to them. But we can touch and take hold of Jesus by faith and find a full, free cleansing for every defilement. The things that other people know about, the things other people gossip about, the things that other people tut-tut over, but also the things that nobody else knows about, the things we hope and pray they'll never find out about. There is cleansing from Jesus. Today the Gospel presents us with a Jesus who can cleanse the defile. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Do you believe that this applies to you? That you're not just saying, oh, well, it's all very well for you to say that, but do you believe that it applies to you? Then third and finally, we have the raising of a child. Look at verses 23 down to 26. And here Matthew focuses on a child being raised from the dead by Jesus. A child being raised from the dead by Jesus. Verses 23 and 24, we we see Jesus coming to the ruler's house. Matthew tells us at the beginning of verse 23 where Jesus went. In the encounter with the bleeding woman, we might well have lost sight of Jairus, this ruler who had come to Jesus saying, lay your hand on my daughter and she will live. But Jesus hasn't forgotten. Jesus hasn't lost sight of Jairus. Don't ever think, friends, that someone else's issue, someone else's illness, someone else's disease, someone else's defilement is more important to Jesus than yours. He hasn't lost sight of her. And he hasn't lost sight of Jairus. And now Jesus comes to the house of Jairus, verse 23, and Matthew tells us what Jesus saw. In Jesus' day, funerals were very public occasions. There was no concept of private grief. A, community, a, a funeral was a community event. The very poorest family would be expected to hire two flute players and a wailing woman. I don't know how on earth you got into the business of being a, a wailing woman, but you, you were employed to be a wailing woman at every funeral going in Capernaum. And as Jesus comes to Jairus' house, he sees that the flute players are in full motion. And he sees not only the flute players in motion, but also that there is a great commotion. There is, there is a noise. And Matthew goes on to tell us what Jesus said. Look at verse 24. He commands the mourners to go away. He's very abrupt with them. 
And the reason why they ought to go away is because the girl isn't dead. There is no need for a funeral procession. There is no need for the professional mourners to be there because the girl is asleep. Now please hear Jesus carefully. The girl's dead. Her father knows she's dead. The professional mourners confirm that she is dead. But as far as Jesus is concerned, her death is no no more permanent than a sleep that he can wake her from. And having told us what Jesus said, Matthew tells us what Jesus heard. Look at verse 24 again. Upon hearing Jesus' words about the girl being asleep, the crowd proceed to laugh at him. No doubt they had heard about all the miracles that Jesus was performing in the area. Lepers are being cleansed. Paralytics are walking. Demons are being driven out. But here is one miracle that is even beyond Jesus. The ability to raise the dead. Their mourning gives way to mocking as they scoff, as they sneer, as they jeer. Who does this Jesus, who does this fellow really think he is? Does he think he's God or something? That he can somehow raise the dead? Verses 25 and 26 we find Jesus raising the child. Matthew tells us that Jesus raised the child in verse 25. The crowd are put out. Jesus isn't going to give them the opportunity to be spectators at this event. And with the crowd out of the way, Jesus goes into the room where the girl is, takes her by the hand, and as he takes her by the hand, she is, she is raised. She rises from her bed. But even more importantly, even more amazingly, She rises from the dead. Matthew concludes by telling us that a report about this went through all the district. Verse 26. What we need to remember is that the towns on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee were far smaller than Stornway. They were very small towns. Now can you just imagine for a minute, maybe the young people want to imagine this too. Imagine someone going into Al Craze. Walking into Al Craze and raising someone from the dead. You know yourselves, friends, that the news would be around Stornoway and around the whole island within a few hours. You know that. It's a small town, small community, people talk. And here's Jesus, and he's gone into the small town of Capernaum where he has raised the dead daughter of the local synagogue ruler. And because of this, we now find the report about Jesus raising her from the dead circulating through all the district, throughout the whole region. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we can see that Jesus is the Savior who conquers death. Jesus is the Savior who conquers death. That's what we see in this encounter with this child. She's dead. Her father knows this. The professional mourners know this. And Jesus regards her death as a sleep, which he has the power to raise her from. He comes up to her. He takes her by the hand. He raises her to life. Jesus is the Savior who can conquer death. Back in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we have seen Jesus dealing with demons, dealing with disease, dealing with storms, dealing with paralysis. We have seen him having power, having authority, having supremacy over all these events. And now we see that he has power, sovereignty, supremacy over death. Even death must bow the knee to Jesus. And he has promised that he is going to raise all his people from the dead. Just like he raised Jairus' daughter. 
In John 6, 39, he says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John 6.40, he says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6.44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6.54, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever believes in me, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Day. Jesus is the one who will raise his people from the dead. And not one will be lost. And nothing and no one, not even COVID, can thwart or hinder his promise and power to do this. Cancer can't. Dementia can't. Tragic accident can. Nothing and no one can hinder or thwart his promise, his power to raise his people on the last day. Today the gospel presents us with a Jesus who can conquer death. Do you believe this? Are you hearing this as good news? Can I ask you, friends, is this your comfort? Is this Jesus your comfort in life, but also for death? He is the one who can conquer and has conquered the last enemy. Let's pray.